you have a choice. And I think a lot of us feel like, not feel like, none of us chose this, right? Like <laughs> this wasn't something we all came together and said, let's make this happen. But we do have a choice in terms of how we engage with it and how we show up every day. And it's easy to forget that we have a choice. But when we lose that piece of it, we fall into just this complete powerlessness. And that's okay, right? If that's where you're at right now, just notice it. But recognize that you can choose differently. And the first different choice is in what you decide to think. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kybert, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Talia Delju. I'm so excited to have you on Muscle Medicine Podcast, especially during these kind of wild times where everything is turned upside down. And I know, you know, part of what you do is positive psychology as well as personal development coach. And you help people focus on being different, changing the story we tell ourselves and seeing, you know, what opportunities arise, not only from a from a mental space, but really from a heart space, which I think is, is hard to tap into sometimes. And I think, especially during these times, when a lot of us wrap up our sense of self-worth in our work, in what we spend, you know, a third of our day doing, maybe even more. I know a lot of people who are like, especially in New York, working 12 hours at their desk, and that's like, totally normal. And people are kind of freaking out. Lots of probably anxiety, panic, drama coming to the surface and maybe not feeling like they have the tools to maybe manage or cope with those feelings. So I'm really curious. I want to start with this idea of like, how do you find yourself worth outside of what we do work-wise? And maybe if it's like, if it's for a stay-at-home mom, you know, that is their business, quote unquote. But yeah, I just love to hear some of your thoughts and like, how do you kind of shift maybe the story we tell ourselves or our mindset around a sense of worth? Absolutely. That's a great place to start and a big place to start. <laughs> like, how much time do we have? So, I mean, this is one of the things that really drives me day to day in terms of my curiosity and the questions people come to me with. And and I think what happens is from a very young age, I'm sure everyone can relate to this. It's, it's very much, it's common that we identify with the roles that we fill in life, right? Someone asks you what you do. It's the first question. A lot of people ask like, what do you do? Right. And you, you, you self-identify and, and talk about the roles you fill most likely at work, um, whatever your work looks like, whether it's work you get paid to do work, you don't get paid to do. So there is that first piece is recognizing that kind of societally we're very much conditioned to define ourselves by what we do. And my work is to come in and help people recognize <laughs> who you are is not what you do. At the same time, absolutely there's an overlap there. But I think the danger comes when you start to overly identify with these roles to the point where there is going to be a day where you're not in that role anymore, where your kids have left the house, right? Where things start to change. So what does that mean for your sense of worth and identity when the ground beneath you starts to shake? So one of the main 
exercises I walk people through is called the identity tree. So it's kind of like the tree of life, the visual of a tree. And for every branch of the tree, you kind of like lay out and outline a different role that you either are currently filling in your life or have filled over your lifetime. And what that does immediately in your brain is, is kind of like reminds you that you are more than one thing right? You're not just the one role that you fill that is on your LinkedIn, you know, or wherever it might be on your Instagram bio, that you are many things, you have been many things, and you will continue to be many things. So it kind of takes you out of the the micro focus and gives you a little bit more perspective to start. And then it's about looking at these different roles that might on paper seem to be very different, very random, and start to ask yourself questions like, when did I feel the most alive in this role? What makes me feel the most energized? Where did my most favorite memory come from? And you start to recognize as you start asking these questions for each role that the same thing begins to come up. A very clear pattern and theme and through line begins to kind of reveal itself where you're able to step aside and say, wow, like despite the role, I've always been someone who blank. I've always been someone who values blank. I've always been someone who, who lights up when blank. Those are the parts of you that are you. Those are the parts of you that are not changing, that are constant, that will continue to show up in whatever roles you decide to take on in your life. It's just going to be expressed differently. So a new branch, you know, might come out of that tree and be a different way of expressing who you are, but it's looking at how these roles are just different expressions of you. You are not the role. You are what kind of brings life into the role that can be a super powerful exercise for people because it brings in some perspective and it brings in a sense of what is constant and unchanging, even when these roles, you know, they've had their seasons. Some have, some have remained over my lifetime, some have passed, but it just kind of brings people back to that place of let's look at the big picture and recognize that I am so much more than this one thing I call myself day to day. Which sounds like such a great exercise, not only for the present, but also looking back into our past, like you're talking about what lights us up. And I think so oftentimes you can kind of be in the go, go, go and charging dead on. And especially when we have downtime, like now it's kind of like, what do we, what do we do with our downtime? It's sometimes hard to dig up the past, right? For people who feel stuck or feel like, what am I doing with my time right now? or maybe even people who've put a lot of pressure on themselves to use this time for creation. Like I got to get a course done or write a book or, you know, these really big things. How can we start to shift our mindset maybe in a healthy way of what to do with this time or how to use this time or how to be engaged with this, this time period? Yeah. I would assume that most people jump to the question of what do I need to do in this time? We are all very quick to look at the doing, the productivity, the outcome, and kind of what we can show for it. You know, we're driven by setting goals, we're driven by output and doing. And so the first kind of shift I would encourage people to to take or the invitation I would present is to first think not so much about what can I do with this time, but who do I choose to be in this time? Do I choose to be someone who does? Do I choose to be someone who takes a step back and finds a new sense of balance? And it's a little bit easier said than done, but just focusing a little bit less on the doing initially and more on the being, right? How am I being in this time with myself, with the world, with my neighbor, with my pet, with my children, with my partner, 
and how when you're, when you can kind of be intentional about who you're being and the quality of your being, the action and the doing kind of naturally, naturally unfolds. It comes from a more truthful place versus a place of should, a place of obligation, a place of expectation, a place of fear. And it does require slowing down a little bit and taking a moment to just check in with yourself. And I'd say the other, other first step would be to, before you judge how you're handling this whole thing is to just observe how you're handling it and recognize that again, how you're handling it, how you're engaging with the situations that are coming at you or to, you know, into your life. There's again, a separation between who you are and how you're engaging with it. So just kind of taking that step back and noticing, okay, this is interesting. I'm really feeling forced to do a lot with this time. Okay. Why is that? So before jumping into it, observing, being a little bit curious, like take this time to just cultivate curiosity about your tendencies, about the patterns you've programmed and conditioned for yourself. If you are in that doing and pushing and forcing, that's okay to just notice it, right? And and look at it and, and ask yourself where it's coming from. We're all experiencing this in so many different ways. I've had calls with clients nonstop back to back all week just to check in and everyone is experiencing this so differently. I'm seeing a lot of guilt from people who are actually enjoying this time. I'm seeing a lot of worry for people who have family they can't really like family who's still going to work every day. And so you're really seeing the full range of emotions. You're seeing people who feel guilty and grateful and it's like how do I <laughs> like it's just so many conflicting emotions and I think the important part is to let yourself feel the full range of them. When we talk about positive psychology, one of your questions initially was like, I don't like, I don't know about this whole like being positive all the time thing. And that's not at all what it's about. It's about making sure we're not just looking at what's going wrong, but we're also looking at what's going right and looking at why, and then figuring out how to use what's going well to manage what's not going so well. So it's more of just like a holistic approach to I I don't even want to say mental health because it's not a clinical field, but a more holistic approach to the human experience and how to elevate our quality of life. So it's inviting all of the pieces in, the good, the bad, the hard, the easy, and just looking at it and asking yourself again where it's coming from and maybe what it's here to, like what is the opportunity here for you? Because everyone's reprioritizing how time is being spent or being forced to reprioritize a little bit right now. And I think attention for many people from what I've seen is that attention is now going to places that have needed it for a while. I asked myself the question because I I was listening to another podcast that you were on, just doing some research of who do you want to be during this time? And if I had asked myself that question a month ago, like when I first closed down the clinic, I was like, I'm going to be a leader for my team. I'm going to be that like that light for the patients, like this, this light of hope. And as it's evolved, basically as my role has evolved to like full-time stay-at-home mom (laughs) for my four-year-old and my eight-month-old, I asked myself this question this morning and I also asked another question after it. And I was like, okay, so who do I want to be during this time? I just want to be like a really present and patient mother. That's what I want to be. And then the second question I asked was, when I look back on this time, how do I want to be remembered? And I was just trying to like put myself in my four-year-old's head and 
like, I want to be remembered again as that like present patient mother who's like super fun and playful, which if you had asked me kind of, you know, a month ago, I would have been like, I would have just kind of like brushed it off. And not that I don't want to be a leader for my team, but there's only so much I can do to like support, you know, people at home. Um, and so I thought it was a really interesting, it was, a, it was an interesting shift because it's a, it's a big shift in the role and the sense of self-worth around that role. Absolutely. I would also say that your intention was to be a leader and a light and you're still being that, but for some, someone else. Yes. Right. So you're still like, it's like, okay, a leader, we have so many ideas and kind of limitations around, well, what does a leader look like? Me as a leader is, is a role that I fill for work self. Right. But no, that can also take on its own form and shape in your house for your kids, for your family. So maybe it's not so much that the roles changed. It's just how it's again, how it's being expressed and maybe who it's being directed to. That's a little bit different. And the other piece to it, I think why the question is so powerful, obviously, yes, it matters how you answer it, but it's also just helping you remember that you have a choice. And I think a lot of us feel like, not feel like none of us chose this, right? (laughs) Like this wasn't something we all came together and said, let's make this happen. But we do have a choice in terms of how we engage with it and how we show up every day. And it's easy to forget that we have choice, but when we lose that piece of it, we fall into just this complete like powerlessness and that's okay. Right. If that's, if that's where you're, where you're at right now, just notice it, but recognize that you can choose differently. And the first different choice is in what you decide to think. So much of it is in the thoughts we choose to think and how that affects how we feel and then how we behave and then what results we see. And so I love that. I think you're still leading and being a light just in a little bit of a different way. I think it was interesting too, to, especially for like the hard charging people in the world to then ask, well, the why behind it. Right. And what kind of came up and kind of going back to positive psychology of like, it's not just the sunshine all the time. It's like, okay, taking everything in holistically, like the light and the dark. I was like, wow, I really prioritized work as number one and family number two. And when I look at that from the outside, I'm like, oh, that's so, I don't know, kind of judgy of it being like, oh, who wants to be a mother, but always put that second. So, and that kind of felt like that gave me the sweats. I was like, oh, that feels like <laughs> not so great. But then I was just like, okay, I'm just going to like sit in it and just observe <laughs> what comes to the surface. Yeah. Um, I'd love to kind of dive into your, you were telling me about these levels of personal power. And I think for maybe some people who feel powerless, especially because there's like so many funky things with our government, like people are having a hard time getting unemployment, these stimulus packages, you know, just yesterday they announced like there's no more, there's no more funds. And so everything kind of feels like, maybe this kind of cloak of certainty, like, okay, everything's going to be okay. And then kind of having to walk on eggshells or feeling like the cloaks or like the, something's been pulled out from under you and just how to, how to stay like kind of like grounded and steady and just remember like everything's going to be okay, no matter how, how it turns out. But yeah, I'd love to just chat about these levels of personal power. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to grab my little cheat sheet over there in the corner as I read through them. But what I do want to share first, because your question was like, how do we, in a time where so much is uncertain, like how do we come back to that like center? And I do think I'm not typically an advocate for like habits and routines and structure. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure to have, you know, habits and routine and structure. And I've never been someone who has really been regimented. Like I wake up at a different time every day and, you know, my life is not very structured, but I have found that especially in times of uncertainty, it's finding ways to create a sense of control through whether it's structure or habits or the way you spend time, having some kind of marker for yourself day to day, weekly, on a monthly basis, whatever it might be that, that tells your brain that time is passing. I think that's what the most important thing is for many of us right now is that kind of groundhog day, the days are all kind of like blending together, feel the same. We don't know when it's going to end. There's a lot of uncertainty at the same time. There are a lot of different ways you can create certainty in your day to day. And it can be as simple as beginning your day saying, Here the, here's what I'm going to eat today. There's some certainty around what I'm going to eat. There's some certainty around what the weather is going to be today. And that maybe sounds a little silly, but there is a lot we do still know. Picking out your outfit the night before so that you know what you're wearing tomorrow, whatever, however small or big it is, finding things that that you don't have to question, that you don't have to wonder about, that you don't have to worry about. And like for me, a big piece of that has been every Friday, I've been doing these like Friday group rituals on Zoom with whoever, you know, whoever wants to join on social media, pop into my Zoom room, we'll light a candle, we'll look at the week, we'll say one thing that we received that week and we'll do some kind of little ritual. But but again, it just creates some structure so that we know time is passing. We've made it through another week. Here we are. There's some connection. There's some community. So finding whatever that is going to be for you and creating a sense of control and certainty that can exist when the uncertainty also exists, right? Like there's uncertainty, there is certainty, there's joy, there's fear, there's happiness, there's suffering, and it can all exist together. It doesn't feel that great necessarily, but that's okay. It's just making sure we invite all those pieces in because they're all a part of what everyone's experiencing right now. So in terms of the personal power, stages of personal power, There are essentially six different stages and they're kind of categorized into two groups. You have the first three stages, the second three stages. And what distinguishes these stages is where you get your sense of power from. So when I say power, it's more so personal power is like how you define who you are, your your idea of who you are, your self-concept. So in the first three stages of power, you're looking at power by powerlessness. And this is very much, this corresponds to kind of developmental stages. So when we're born, we don't have much power. We're powerless in the sense that, you know, we can't feed ourselves. We, we need to be taken care of and nurtured. And so there's a sense of power by powerlessness where we need somebody else to survive. And some of us in adulthood might fall back into some of these stages where, you know, there's a bit of codependency or this bit of feeling like we can't do anything on our own. So that's one of the initial three stages. And we have power by association. Power by association is I am who I am. My sense of power comes from being able to associate with this really fancy company or this really fancy title or role. And then that moves us into power by achievement. So I am what I have. I am what I do. I am the money, the car, the house, the all the external things. And again, completely normal. A lot of us have been conditioned to 
again, define who we are and feel powerful by the external things around us. And many of us kind of stop there. We kind of, we get to stage three and that's kind of how we live life. We're driven by success. We're driven by external accomplishment, achievement, validation. Again, not good or bad, just is for many people. And then some people reach what's called the crisis of integrity. So this is before you reach stage four. So between three and four, you reach the crisis of integrity. I'm very proud. I'm not looking at my book. (laughs) I'm doing good. Where you kind of start to question because you you're looking you're looking at your life you're looking at all the things you've done the things you have the people you're associating with and you're kind of like this can't be everything right like there's got to be something more to life there's got to be some there's just something that's not being fed within me and I know deep down that more money another pair of shoes another thing is not gonna fill that hole. So you kind of start to question, you start to look at why, you know, why have I been chasing these things? And obviously they've served me well in some ways, but like, again, what's, what's calling for my attention? So this is where we shift from the first three stages being very externally focused to the second three stages being very internally focused. So you start to kind of like shift your focus inward and you start looking at power by purpose where you're starting to look at again, like, okay, well, what about who I am? What about my values? What about my priorities? What about what I'm being called to do here for myself, for my family, for the people I work for? You're kind of in this place of reflection, power by reflection, I'm sorry, is stage four. So you're beginning to just question, you're beginning to do some self-discovery and inner work and exploration. Which now would probably be a good time. (laughs) Now as, be as time time. slows down. <laughs> as time slows down. Yeah. Just evaluating. Okay. Where am I putting my energy and time and attention? Why? What am I getting from it? What am I not getting from it? A really easy way to do this is to literally just like mentally dump everything on a piece of paper. Okay. Here are all the things that I'm doing day to day. Put a plus sign next to the things that give you energy next to the things that fill your bucket that align with your values and a minus sign next to the things that maybe kind of don't. And again, don't judge it. Just look at it, assess it, evaluate it. And then we have power by purpose. So that's stage five, where you start to look at your role kind of in the bigger context of society and your community. And like, again, what am I here to do? And, and how is that separate than like how I show up in this role, in this title, in the world. And then you move into stage six, which is power by wisdom and power by wisdom is most notably characterized as like the people who are kind of like the quiet but wise people who don't have to say much, don't do much, kind of live live a quiet life, but are very introspective, are very much connected to like our bigger reality, consciousness, and have kind of a sense of, again, where they fit into all of it. So the main point I think to make there for, for most people is that there's a distinct point at which you start to recognize that your power does not come from anything outside of you and that it instead comes from within you. However, we do need to go through those first three stages to get into those second three stages. So it's important to have things we associate with and things that we accomplish and things we do and things we have, but there's so much more after that that I think we can sometimes easily forget. To shift into the second three of, of the more internal, 
is there is there something that people could ask? So you gave that one exercise of like, okay, just write everything you do in your day, plus or minus. Is there another exercise people could go through to kind of, I don't know, maybe ask themselves, quote unquote, the right questions and still just create observation around it without being judgmental of what comes up to the surface? So many questions. <laughs> Maybe like two, two questions. Yeah, well, I mean, a couple places I turn people to first. One is to find, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with like online assessments and personality tests because I think they can be a little too prescriptive and take a little bit of your power away. It's like, you know so much, you just have to have the right questions to be asking yourself. But one of the first places I do turn people to is the VIA. It's called the Values in Action Character Assessment. And not so much because it's going to give you a super accurate read of like who you are and what your values are, but because it gives you a starting point. It gives you language to start working with, to start thinking about yourself differently, talking about yourself differently. What's interesting about the VIA is that it is very kind of like contextual. So if you take it now, your results will be pretty different than they would be in six months from now when life looks differently. So finding some assessments just as like a starting point, but in terms of questions, I have so many reflection like worksheets and downloads on my website. So people can definitely go there and get some questions to start journaling and reflecting. But some of my favorites are more so focused on fear, fear as the starting point. So understanding how fear is showing up for you right now. And if you want a really fun place to start with an exercise, it's to write a letter to fear it's fun because it kind of puts you back in like, you know, you feel like you're in like second grade talking to your friend fear, but it is extremely powerful because it acknowledges the role that fear always plays in everyone's life in every way and different ways, but it's always there. And I think it ends up taking on a lot more power and control than we recognize until we kind of check it. So how is fear showing up for you? What is fear here to tell you? What does fear need to hear from you to kind of like move aside? Others would be, would actually be pointed to the four levels of engagement. We haven't fully jumped into those, but the four questions there would be, what do you feel like is happening to you? Where do you feel like the victim in whatever you're, you're, you're facing right now? So where do you feel like you're placing blame? Where do you feel like the victim? What do you feel like is happening to you? The second question out of the four being, what is the problem you're trying to fix? And this is going to be an interesting one in the context of what we're all going through, but many of us don't like being in the discomfort. So we try really hard to get out of it quickly. We don't want to sit in it that long. So just notice what am I doing to get out of the discomfort without the judgment, right? But like, am I watching a lot of TV? Am I, whatever it might be, just noticing the habit, noticing the pattern, And like, why, what is the problem you're trying to solve? What is the discomfort you're trying to not feel? Third question is again, back to where we started. Like who, who do I choose to be? Who am I, who am I choosing? Whether or not I know it, like what are my choices reinforcing? How am I showing up? Where do I feel the power to choose? And where do I not feel like I have choice right now? And then the fourth one is what is trying to happen for me? If I could just kind of take a step back and, and, surrender a little bit to what's going on because there's a lot I cannot control. What is trying to happen for me? What is trying to emerge from me? What wants my attention on a deeper level? What's the opportunity here for me? 
So I could go on with questions for hours, but there are plenty more on my website and I do a lot of this work or just talk a lot about reflection and stuff on my Instagram. So there's a lot there for people. So I think oftentimes when people are reflecting, limiting beliefs come up, right? For example, I don't have enough time in my day to da-da-da, right? So, which I think for a lot of people, maybe don't even know what a limiting belief is. <laughs> or like, you know, I call it like the story I tell myself and then I ask, okay, is this true? Or is it what I'm telling myself? So how can someone start to maybe identify and then remove a limiting belief and still maintain or feel a sense of a strength-based mindset, especially during these times. So I'll just give you an example for myself. I have watching my kids. I have you know, some work that needs to get done. And at the end of the day, after the kids go down, there's like a half hour before I just like knock out. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to like do all this work. And what happens, especially during this time, is like this, this like, oh, I'm not getting that done. Resentful maybe to my husband. So I'm like, he's not giving me the time and space to let me get it done, you know? And I just, I keep just like, is that true? Or is it what I'm telling myself? And so, you know, in the moment I'm like, well, a little bit, it's kind of true. But then I'm like, okay, well, I could wake up earlier to get it. You know what I mean? So trying to just kind of cut through those limiting beliefs. But I'm curious what your approach is, because I think especially during these times, especially with the mothers, it's like, it's like so much work, like the cook, the clean, the kids. And then if they do actually have a job, they have to attend to that as well. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. So the biggest thing you're already doing, which is questioning whether or not it's true. That is the most important thing you can begin to do as you're again, looking at your mind, how is it working? What limiting beliefs are there? Is what I'm thinking actually true? Could I go to court, stand in front of a judge and prove it? <laughs> and I think most people recognize that when there's limiting belief in your mind, that's kind of fueling your frustration, your resentment, whatever it might be, you're looking for evidence to prove that you're right. You're looking for evidence to continue perpetuating and fueling whatever that thought is. And so the key is to start looking for evidence that you're wrong. And it's really hard to do that because our egos don't want to be wrong, but there is always evidence that the opposite of what you're thinking is true, especially when a lot of the limiting beliefs are around expectation and the shoulds, right? I should, I should be able to stay awake and do this. I should be able to finish. I should be able to, you know, whatever it is, just flip it for a moment, for a brief moment, as hard as it might be in your brain to say, I shouldn't. And here's why I shouldn't. It just kind of evens it out a little bit, right? It's like, okay, well, here's why I should. I've been fueling that for a while. Let's just give a little bit of time and attention and love to the shouldn't for a bit and see where that takes me. So finding evidence for the opposite thought, finding evidence for why you're wrong can be a really powerful way to kind of like unravel and like move a little bit of the energy to the other side of the coin. The other thing I'll say, so there's a model that I work with called the self-coaching model. And it basically breaks down our belief patterns and systems into just different components to understand, okay, well, what, what happens when this limiting belief comes into my mind? So what happens is you think a thought about whatever you're going through, whatever's happening and whatever you think then leads to an emotion. So if you're feeling resentful, it's not because of what your husband may or may not be doing. It's because of what you're thinking about him. 
right? So, okay, what's the feeling? What's the action? What's the result? So if you're noticing this resentment is not helping me, okay, well, and this, again, seems a little bit almost like too good to be true and too simple, but you really are kind of redesigning and recrafting and recreating how you want to experience what you're experiencing. So looking at it and saying, okay, I don't want to feel resentful. Here's what I want to feel instead. Okay, here's what I want to feel instead. Be it patient, understanding, or maybe I do want to feel a little assertive so I can actually say something and voice my needs, right? So whatever it is you want to feel, you're kind of reverse engineering and saying, okay, well, what do I need to start thinking? What's the thought I need to literally create in my mind and start believing so that I can feel what I need to feel so that I can do what I want to do so I can see the results that I want to see. And again, like so many of us think in such, like we don't consciously, we don't know that we're, we're choosing our thoughts, right? So much is happening on such a non like subconscious level. Um, So to bring this to consciousness and to recognize, no, you are choosing your thoughts. You are choosing how you feel. No one else is responsible for your feelings. It's a hard big pill to swallow, but no one else is responsible (laughs) for your feelings. You get to choose how you feel based on how you think about what's going on. So understanding that and figuring out, okay, if this is what I want to do differently, what do I need to feel? What do I need to think? I mean, you can really kind of plug and play into this model in any way, but with limiting beliefs, I think it's important to recognize, is this based in truth? What could be true instead? What is evidence that I'm wrong? And what do I want to feel about this? Knowing that the circumstance is not going to change, but how I choose to engage with it is where I have complete power and choice. Mm, I love that. When people feel stressed, right? Because it's going to, it's going to ebb and flow. Like I know there's moments where I'm like, okay, I'm good, steady. And then the next moment I'm like, there's like a, like a storm in my head. And I know a lot of people have felt like it's up and down, like just a full range of emotions in a day for people who are feeling stress I always come back to this idea of resiliency and how do people like sometimes it's societal focus is like de-stress, but I'm always thinking, okay, how can I use that stress for transformation, for growth? How can I use it to my benefit versus trying to like disassociate with it? And I find that some of the people who I look up to, or I look at and I'm like, wow, that person is really resilient. When they take stress, they they show up with courage. They don't they don't kind of go to like fight or flight or that freeze, right? They just they show up with courage and they kind of I think of them standing like like superwoman um or superman. And then there's, you know, some people who just like when they're stressed they crumble or they they go into that fight or flight or freeze. And I'm curious, you know, how you navigate stress with your clients and with your people. Yeah. So many different ways to answer this question. I think, I think to your point, the point is, is not to not feel stress, right? (laughs) Stress like fear is important. We need it to signal certain things to us. It's information. And I think whether you want to look at it as stress or as suffering or as pain, I think it's it's important to ask yourself in those moments, what am I resisting most? I think a lot of the suffering and the stress and the pain comes from resisting what's happening, right? And telling ourselves that things shouldn't be this way, that we want them to be different than what they are. So just noticing initially, like, 
what are you resisting and what do you, what are you telling yourself shouldn't be what it is? Cause yeah, it's, it's that it's like being in a place of non-acceptance of reality. And so for a lot of people, I think getting into simple mindfulness practices that get you fully into the present, because a lot of stress is very much focused on future. Like what's going to happen? Is this going to last forever? It's very future oriented. So practices that get you into your body, practices that kind of move the energy from your mind and the thoughts and the stressful cognitive stuff happening up here into your body. And I know people talk about these things. They look at them as small things, but coming back to your breath (laughs) is really one of the most powerful things you can do because it signals to your brain that you are safe. Right? When you can take a full deep breath and exhalation is, is literally a, a, a signal that you're safe enough to breathe right now. So it brings you into the present. It takes you out of the thoughts themselves and puts you into your body. I think a lot of stress is also because we're not, we kind of like detach from the present, whatever we're experiencing, because we think it's wrong or it shouldn't be happening. And so to find ways to come back into your body for me, it's through dance. I put on a song, I go into my backyard and I dance for three minutes every morning and just drop into my body. It really does help me get out of the mental, the mental stress. That for me is where my stress is. It's in my thoughts. So it does depend because stress looks so many different ways. It can show up in so many different ways and there's, there's real stress and then there's not so real stress. So there's not one way to answer that question, but I think finding ways to practice presence and look at where or what you're resisting most and what you think shouldn't be happening or should be different and trying to fall into a place of just acceptance before you continue to kind of fight against whatever it is that's happening. And mindfulness is different than meditation. Cause I think a lot of people are like, I'm stressed. I need to go meditate. And, and then they might do like a mindfulness practice, but I yeah. think there's like, it, there should be like a clear difference. There's sure. a difference. Can you share that difference? Yeah. 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 For sure. So mindfulness is nothing but the practice of paying attention. So you can wash your dishes as a mindfulness practice. You can sit here and record a conversation and this could be a mindfulness practice. It's about the quality of your attention and how focused your attention is on one thing on purpose. Meditation is is absolutely related to that, right? But it's more of a formal practice and there are a lot of different kinds of meditation as well. But mindfulness to me again is is more about your quality of attention whereas meditation is a seated, most likely a seated practice, a more formal structured practice that's tied to a certain time frame. right? You sit down for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is, and there's something that you're cultivating or trying to practice or trying to do. Whereas, so you can't meditate while you're driving, right? But you can drive mindfully by paying attention to how the road feels underneath your wheels and how much your car is you know, bumping around or whatever. So that's the simplest way I can explain the difference. And I do think for me, mindfulness is a lot more easy to practice because it's a, it, I can choose at any moment of any day to be more mindful. And it's something I can integrate into what's already happening versus meditation having to be something I have to set aside time for and add to what it is I'm already doing day to day. So for people who have a hard time finding time, I think starting with mindfulness and just choosing, okay, for the first three minutes of my breakfast, if you eat breakfast, pay attention to 
the colors. Pay attention to the sounds of your cereal. Like pick one sense and tune into that sense. And it can be five seconds. That works too. So it can look a lot of different ways. But yeah, there's there's definitely a distinction between the two. Let's talk Bali because I know you have something coming up in Bali and I have a house in Bali, in Ubud. So. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. And so you're, you're having a retreat. I am. In the yes. fall. Like yes. right around the corner yet at the same time, the world can be like so different than what it is right now. Right. I know. I'm like, <laughs> I honestly, we're moving forward as if it's happening, but who knows? But yes, we have a retreat in Bali in October and I'll be co-facilitating with a dear friend of mine who lives in Italy. She is an author, a poet, a pranic energy healer. She's she's a PhD in depth psychology. So we kind of bring our different backgrounds in psychology and, and personal development and healing and all that together. And we've created this experience that really helps people move from stage three to stage four, as we were talking about before. Like we're shifting our focus from external to internal we're reflecting, we're writing, we're connecting, we're meditating, we're practicing mindfulness. And for a lot of people, I think why retreats are so helpful is because when we get into a new environment, we're not triggered by the same things. And it kind of opens space mentally for us to think new thoughts, to feel new things, to experience different things than we would if we were in the same space. I think there's, I'm going to get these numbers wrong, but there's something around how we think like 60,000 thoughts a day, 85% of them are like negative in content and 95% of them are repeated thoughts. Like we've thought that we thought this before we thought the same things yesterday. And a lot of it's because if I walk into my kitchen, I'm reminded of what I thought yesterday in my kitchen, right? It's like the environment is such a, an indication of like it's a reflection, right. Of what's going on up here. So to be in a new space, to be around new people, to be talking about new and different things can really kind of shift some of the patterns into a different way of being with yourself. So we're super excited. Plenty of spots still open. I think we have nine or 10 registered right now from all across the world, which is super exciting. It's my first international retreat. So I'm so stoked about it. How did you guys choose Bali? I'm curious. Deborah literally was like, where do you, where have you wanted to go that you haven't been to yet? And I was like, Bali, for sure. That's <laughs> where I want to go. Um, yeah, it was a pretty easy choice. And I know it's like a part of it. It's like, it's, you know, I've had a lot of friends who've gone recently and, but there's something about just the, again, from what I've read and from what I've heard, just the spiritual quality of, of the space and the environment and the people and the culture and Awesome. And then where can, where can people find you? Cause I know you have a podcast. Yes, I do. Yeah. So the podcast is called Sincerely Me. It's about personal development, a little bit of spirituality, inner work, reflection, all the things we talked about today. And then Instagram at Talia Delju. And I read a lot and I share a lot of what I'm reading. And so I've also started a book club for personal development I'm happy to share a link with your listeners to join for free for a month. Check it out. But we basically pick a different theme every month. This month is authenticity. Next month is self-worth. June is purpose. And every couple of days in this community, we talk about it. We ask each other questions, reflection questions. And then at the end of the month, we come together to discuss the topics, the books that we choose for the theme that month. And, and for May and June, this is like 
hot off the press <laughs> for May and June. The, uh, both of the authors of the books are actually joining us for live discussions. Wait, is May Brene Brown? Or is that April? April. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I will say I did reach out to Brene. I got a very sweet note from her team saying Brene's priorities are currently family research and teaching. So (laughs) um, although I did, I simply, I was like, there's no way she'll join for a live discussion. I wonder if she would like just record a 10 second, like, hey guys, enjoy my book. But she's got to draw a line somewhere. I'm sure she gets requests a million times a day. So Brene will not be joining but Elle Luna, who's the author of The Crossroads of Should and Must, is going to join in June. And then Amanda Owens, the author of The Power of Receiving for May. So awesome! super excited for where it's so going to cool. go. And yeah, it's going to cool. be fun. And then if there was like one thing, which I know is always the hardest thing to distill down or you want the listeners to take away, maybe an action step or maybe not an action step to just kind of like wrap our head around these times when you know, things, everything's flipped upside down. What, what would that one thing be? Yeah. Um, it would be a question. And the question would be, what do you know to be true right now? Mm. Yeah. And then join the book club to, and join the to book break club. it down. <laughs> yeah. To break it down. We've got a lot, we have women from all across the country who are in the book club and I, it's kind of taking on a life of its own now. And it's really fun to see where it's going and to, be hopeful that more more authors will say yes to joining us and it's pretty cool to see so yeah all right awesome lady thank you so much thank for you this down with all the listeners of muscle medicine thank you very welcome that's a wrap i have two truths that i fully believe in first to be one percent better every single day and second all feedback is good feedback because it helps us grow Why do I say this? If you're enjoying these conversations and you find this is adding value, send us some love by subscribing to Muscle Medicine Podcast on iTunes. And if you want to share your voice with the world and scream it from the rooftops and tell your friends, or you can just give us a little feedback so we can grow by rating and reviewing Muscle Medicine on iTunes. Thank you guys. So much gratitude. Dr. Emily Kybert here.